There are so many instances in a day's time where we are being marketed to. Whether you are watching TV and an ad pops up in the middle of your favorite episode, or you're watching a short YouTube clip and an ad is on pre-roll ahead of watching your video. You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact, small towns have a big heart, and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Welcome back, listener, to Small Minded. I am so happy to have you here. These past few weeks and months of podcasting and releasing episodes have just been some of the most exciting of the one year plus of its existence. And we've had more downloads and more new listeners and more great feedback and reviews left than in any other months in the past. And it's so great to hear what stories resonate with you, what you're inspired by, and thank you so much. Now, today's episode, we're going to kind of divert from like the recent longer form episodes and we're going to just keep it short and sweet. And honestly, this is not the topic I was going to talk to, but I had an email come in from a listener and she has been pursuing a marketing degree. And as part of her marketing lineup, she needed to take a digital marketing class. And part of that class was to reach out to somebody who manages a page or an organization's page or account on social media and ask them a few basic questions. And when I went through it, I was like, you know what? This would be a really great podcast episode just to kind of recap the importance of social media marketing for your business as a growth tool, as a sales tool, and to kind of also just like check ourselves and be like, what can we really accomplish with this? And what maybe do we need to like set our sights a little lower for? <laughs> so today we are going to talk about small town social media marketing and let's just get going. Hey listener, have you wondered what the heck you should post today for your business on Facebook? Have you ever wondered how to put together an Instagram reel? Have you ever wondered how people are possibly getting sales and leads from their social media accounts because you just really don't know when or where or how to start? Well, worry no more because MKM Social School Fall is here. I am starting a new quarterly membership. It'll be three months of guided social media content and instruction to help you easily and effectively implement social media marketing for your own small town business. In October, we're going to focus on the foundations of great Facebook account. In November, we're going to talk about those things you need to implement if you're operating on Instagram. And then in December, we're going to learn how to sell on social, baby, and keep everything together during that crazy holiday season. So if you are looking for daily prompts to help inspire you on what to post, specific instruction on how to put things together so it makes a great post, or understand how to just navigate social media platforms, 
or if you want to network with great business owners and have someone or some people to answer the questions that are burning about social media marketing, this is the opportunity for you. The doors are open for you to join MKM Fall Social School for just $177 for three months of instruction, networking, and programming from Molly Knuth of Molly Knuth Media. If you're interested, head over to www.mollyknuthmedia.com shop and check out MKM Fall Social School to get signed up. But hurry, because while enrollment is happening, the doors are closing and we start classes on October 1st. So again, that's going to be MKM Fall Social School. It's at www.mollyknuthmedia.com slash shop. All right, I'm just going to go item by item down the list of questions that the listener sent me, and we'll just go from there. So question number one, what social media platform or platforms do you manage? Uh, me personally, Molly Knuth at Molly Knuth Media, we operate mostly Facebook and Instagram platforms for our clients. Now, there are a whole host of other social media platforms, YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, TikTok, Twitter, you. I already said YouTube. <laughs> um, but there are just a variety of social media platforms and a whole bunch emerge every year and different ones ascend to the top and have popularity. Do you guys remember Clubhouse like about a year ago? Uh, that was very popular. But since then, I haven't been hearing so much about it. But different social media platforms kind of evolve and rise to the top of popularity and get into our pop culture like frame of reference. But the tried and true staple platforms for small town, small businesses should be Facebook and Instagram. Now, why these two? First up, they're both problematic, right? They both have positives and negatives, benefits and drawbacks. They are both like finicky in the algorithm and how the changes are kind of out of our hands as the creators and the page managers. But they both offer a wealth of benefit to us. So I choose Facebook because it is a great local marketing tool. So when I think about a business in a small town, like let's say that you operate a diner or let's say that you operate a convenience store or like an equipment sales location, you're going to work with a local market. You're not going to try to advertise to people out in Oregon or in Florida to come to Iowa and buy your plow. I don't even know. Um, or like similarly, if I am in Des Moines, Iowa, I'm probably not going to advertise in Milwaukee, Wisconsin about my amazing coffee special this morning only, you know? So when I'm thinking about local impact and what social media platform allows for that the best, it's going to be Facebook like time and time again. And the reason for that is that when I think about people that live in a small town, the demographics are an array of ranges, you know, from kids all the way up to senior citizens. There's an array of people with technical comfortability. So some people are very like they have been on Facebook for 10, 15 years, and they're very comfortable with it. There's other people who maybe just adopted it three years ago, and they're still learning the, like how things lay out and what button does what. But I believe that Facebook kind of is one of those that you can manage and you can just keep it very simple scrolling through your newsfeed and people of all technical abilities can manage that. So for those reasons, I think that if you're a local business, 
just advertising and marketing in a radius that is predetermined, then Facebook is your go-to marketing platform. Now, let's say that you are a business that is like online-based or service-based or you sell digital products or you can ship products, then Facebook can still work for you, but Instagram can work really well too because with the advent of hashtags, you can get your posts out to a wider radius or a bigger audience than you can with just Facebook. So I really think that these two are really great platforms. If you're just starting out, I recommend doing one or the other. But if you've been in the social media marketing space for a little while, I think those are the two that you need to go with. Now, I think LinkedIn is great for people who are professionals that want to network with other professionals online. I think that um, TikTok is really great if you're looking to kill an hour and just scroll through great videos. Or if you want to like capture the audience that a new audience or a fun audience, or you have a lot of creativity and you love creating video content, then TikTok is going to be great for you. Twitter is going to be for people who like to type and they're clever and funny. And so there's always going to be different people who are skilled at different things. But think about who your audience is, where you're marketing to, and that will help you narrow it down. For us, helping small towns, small businesses, I really do lean heavily on Facebook and Instagram for my clients. Question two, how did you get assigned or asked to do this? So I have told this story a million times, but if you're a new listener, maybe you haven't heard it. So I started out in social media marketing by accident. I am a high school reading language arts teacher by trade, but it's been 10 years almost since I was in the classroom, which is wild. But when I was teaching, I did do some uh, social media marketing kind of unbeknownst to me. I got into my classroom. I only had about 50 books and I really wanted to make reading and reading choice one of the priorities of my classroom. I just wanted kids to enjoy the books that they read, not think about how complex the text is or how many points they would get in AR. But I wanted them to just pick books in a variety of formats like graphic novels, historic fiction, romance, um, nonfiction, biography. I wanted to just have a whole bunch of books there that kids could choose and just read for enjoyment. But it was really hard to do that when I only had 50 books in my classroom and I was going to have over 100 students rotate through my classroom in a day. So I took to Facebook and I just said, hey, you know what? If anybody out there has gently used books on a shelf that are already read and they're now gathering dust, I would be happy to welcome them and give them a home in my classroom and get kids reading them. And people dropped off books by the box load. I'm not kidding. So then as like we received more books and I was able to grow my library and add another bookshelf to my classroom and we started doing like book talks and um, some little like in-house advertising for the books that we thought were the best. I documented that and shared it out on Facebook and that helped Word grow even more and we got more donations. And so by the time, let's see, I think I started with like 70 or 80 books. By the end of the first semester, I think I had over 500. And it was really, really awesome. And the kids were so excited every time we brought in a new box of books. And that was like kind of my first foray into social media marketing. After I transitioned to a stay-at-home mom, there were a couple times where I had an opportunity again to market on Facebook and unbeknownst to me, 
develop my skills for marketing as a profession. But one of the things I did was as part of a daycare program in our town, they were undergoing a fundraising capital campaign. And we went to some meetings and we were kind of told how capital campaigns work and the best strategic ways to get money for your project and to like the steps to take to get this project from vision to communicating that to the community and then to like the phases of building and finishing. So one of the key parts was communicating the need, okay? So yeah, it's great to want a new daycare, but is it like really a need? Is it really something that our community has to have or can we just wait a few years? And that was something that we wanted to show people, not just tell them. We wanted to show them the conditions in which our children were being cared for. And not to say that it wasn't a great daycare. The people at that daycare were great, but they were working within a building that they really had no control over. It was an old convent that was built in the 1960s. And the daycare was part of the Catholic education system in our community. And so that was a building that was available when the daycare was developed. And it just stayed there for like 14 years. And then by the end of those 14 years, it was like, okay, we need to have something different because the classrooms were so small. You could not meet another parent in the hallway with your car seat without somebody having to like step into a different room for a short period so the other person could pass. There was like, oh gosh, it was just like, yeah, there was two levels, wasn't ADA accessible. So there was just a whole bunch of reasons that we needed another facility, a better building to house the daycare programming. But if you weren't somebody who was consistently dropping off your kids or involved in the school system, you didn't know. You just saw the outside of the building, which looked fine, but you didn't understand how the inside was really prohibiting the the care and the programming that they could have. And so what we did was, well, I guess let me back this up a second. So during those conversations to communicate the need, there was a couple ways to do this. We could have events and we could have people walk through the daycare center. We could make phone calls and have benefactors like that we just directly asked if they would be willing to contribute to this project. And I wasn't comfortable with either of those. <laughs> I was like, guys, I don't want to call people on the phone and ask them for money. I just don't feel comfortable with that. And they're like, that's okay. We'll find something else for you to do. And then they were like talking about events. And I had three small kids. And I was like, guys, I can't work at events. And they're like, that's okay. We'll find something else for you to do. And then we got to a point and they're like, okay, so what are you going to do? And I was like, um, well, I do know how to edit videos because I had done a little bit of that in my teaching. And they're like, all right, that sounds great. And I said, maybe we could just release them out on Facebook and people might share them. This was in 2015. So we didn't have like a Facebook page or anything. It was just like all personal accounts at that point. But that's what we did. So we took pictures of the inside of the daycare. We took adorable pictures of the kids, the teachers, their interactions, the toys, and all the cute little things that are associated with the daycare. And then we kind of juxtaposed those with some of the negative parts of the building and the drawbacks and how the space inhibited like large motor development and the ability to play outside or run around. Some of the cares in the classrooms had to be in a different building. And so we used video to communicate that. And I shared it on Facebook just from my own personal account and told people, hey, you know, this is what we've got going on you know, help spread the word. That'd be great. That video got, I think it was like 4,000 views. 
And then we were like, oh my gosh, we might be onto something. So then that single video turned into an idea of, well, what if we did a series? So if you're familiar with any kind of small town fundraising, you'll get a lot of upfront gifts. And then you get to a point where you've hit the people who you know are very willing to contribute. You've heard some no's, but you still have to get to the finish line. And so once we hit that plateau phase, we thought, well, let's turn this into a series of videos. They were very strategic as far as what we wanted each video to communicate. So we kind of like told a story. And number one was like, here's where we are today. Video number two is like, here's where we want to go with this new facility. Number three, here's how you can help us get there. And each of those videos in that series gained over 2,000 views. And to put that into perspective, we come from a community of 2,000. So it was major. We got a lot of support and it was just a great way to help show people who didn't regularly get to see the inside of the facility so they could see what the problems were and what the teachers were up against in that particular center. So once we saw, or I guess once I saw the successes from that campaign, that's when I was like, oh man, this is really fun and it was very successful. I'm going to put that in my back pocket for any time I'm involved with the fundraising again. And I didn't get involved with fundraising next, but I did get involved with a business startup and they were just starting a small like manufacturing business. My dad and my cousin were involved and they just needed some general administration work like invoicing, filing, doing some random stuff that comes along with like having a manufacturing business and there's an office inside it, but you just need some extra hands to get it all done. So I did that. And then I kind of proposed to them like, what if we, because they wanted to do some marketing. And I said, well, what if we tried this Facebook page thing? Because we thought about newspaper ads. We had talked about like the local magazine publications that like come out and they're at the convenience store or they're at the diner that you can pick up and take for free. But I said, what about this Facebook page thing? Like people can share it. It's where people are kind of spending their time right now. It's free for us to have this. We don't have to pay to get radio space or commercial space or anything like that. And so they're like, yeah, go ahead and give it a shot. And it resulted in growing some awareness for the business and getting some leads for customers. And so one person that I helped there told another person and I started helping that business. And then they told another person and I started helping that business. And then after I had those three, it kind of came to a point where I had to say, all right, am I going to pursue this as the job that I'm going to carry forward or what am I going to do? And I ultimately decided to go forward with it. And the rest was history. That was in 2016, 27, late 2016, early 2017. So that's how I got going. That's a long-winded story. But anyway, there it is. All right, question number three. What do you feel is key to a successful post? So first of all, I think that your post has to have some kind of graphic or some aspect of it that catches the eye of the viewer. There are so many instances in a day's time where we are being marketed to. Whether you are watching TV and an ad pops up in the middle of your favorite episode, or you're watching a short YouTube clip and an ad is on pre-roll ahead of watching your video, uh, whether it's reading a news article and you have to watch an ad to get to read the article, or you're driving down the road and you see a billboard, or you're walking in to get gas and there's a sticker on the pump for how much it costs, and then there's another sticker on top informing you of what's inside the convenience store. 
we're just getting marketed to all the time, you guys. And now on social media, it's not a fad to have a business page. It's kind of become an expectation. And with that comes a competition for space in the newsfeed. Now, how the algorithm works is that each individual person has their preferences, their values, their beliefs, their interests, their likes and dislikes, right? And every person's lineup is different. But the powers behind all of our favorite social apps, and not just social apps, but places like Google and different websites, they are very slick and they know how to see what you're clicking on, not you individually, but they can kind of like see what your device, how much time your device is spending on Candy Crush or where you've been on the Nordstrom website or the Target website. And they can kind of start making good educated guesses about the kind of content you'd like to see based on the habits that you have on your smartphone or your desktop or wherever you consume content. So when we have this competition for space amongst those national retailers, amongst those small town business pages that are all trying to cram into that limited space in our news feeds, we have to, as marketers ourselves, be very strategic and know what our audience is going to be looking for and what's going to stand out to them as they scroll. So if we have too much of the same thing, if our content looks just like someone else's content or we've been using the same template for a long time, yada, 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 we don't stand out anymore. We don't make them stop that scroll. But what we need to do first is catch their attention long enough to get them to stop what they're doing. So if they're mindlessly scrolling and we have some kind of image that stands out, that will make them stop their scroll. And that graphic or that video should hook their attention, kind of like a good opening line to a book. It should hook their attention. And then if we can get that good hook in a graphic or a video, then we have to write a caption that gets them to feel a certain way or to see a certain point that kind of guides them. And I operate by the ease. So we want to either educate, get them to evoke an emotion, or we want to e-sell them e-commerce. <laughs> so we want to make sure that we have that graphic that like stops the scroll. Then we want to make sure that we have a caption that complements the graphic, but also gets people to like see the big point that we want to make with this space. And then we want to have a good call to action that guides them to take a next step. So that call to action can be super simple, like like this post if you agree, or it can be more complex, like share this post so others know. And it's a hierarchy, like getting people to like a post is relatively easy. Getting people to watch a video for three seconds is pretty easy. Getting people to enter their name on your website is kind of hard. It's a spectrum of easy asks on your call to action all the way up to hard asks. And those hard asks are going <laughs> to, that sounds terrible. Those hard asks are going to be those questions like, drop me your email address, comment something meaningful that is hard to share on social media in the comments, uh, go to my website and buy this high-priced piece of equipment. Those are big asks, and those are going to be fewer and harder to come by, but just because of the nature of the hardness. But the easy things like asking for likes, those should be easy call to actions that people, if you have an engaged audience, are ready and willing to do. Um, so those are the three things. Attention-grabbing graphic, a caption that complements the graphic and at the same time kind of guides people into the big point you want to make with that post, 
and then has a call to action for what you want the people to do next that are seeing this content. And the call to action, people are like, do I have to do that on every post? I feel so salesy. And I do get it. I get it. Um, because you don't want to come across that way, especially small town folk. We hate being braggy and salesy. But if we can get our followers to take some kind of action, especially if that is an action in real life, like, hey, put your phone down and just like sit in silence for two minutes. Hey, after you read this post, give us a phone call. After you read this post, donate to a charity. If you're reading this post, unclench your jaw and drop your shoulders. You know, if we can get them to take some kind of real life action, it's going to be meaningful to them. And it's going to not only be meaningful, but then they're going to start associating that positive feeling with us as the business. And the more we can do that, the more top of mind we are going to be when they are in need of our product or our service. So that's why we do that. All right. What works for a successful post and what doesn't work? So what works in a successful post, I believe, is something that really speaks to your unique audience. So it is important, and I know a lot of internet marketing gurus out there talk about like ideal client and ideal client avatar and flesh this whole thing out. Think about, is it a man or a woman? What age are they? Where do they work? How many kids do they have? Uh, What's their birthday? Are they a Scorpio, Capricorn, a Pisces? Like, you know, you can get really detailed about your ideal client avatar, or you can be pretty basic and still be able to get honed in on your ideal audience. So I compared it this way in my social school group this morning. When we're talking about like a localized business that you work in a certain radius, your ideal client doesn't have to be super specific because if you have a diner and you're like, but my ideal client is a mom in her 30s who loves Lululemon and she is organic and vegan, like that's great. But if you're a diner in a small town in rural America and you serve like burgers and fries and stuff, like you don't have to be that specific with your target audience when you are a diner that's going to serve people who just are in your town, right? Now, conversely, if you are like somebody who is starting an online fitness space, then it is really important to have that specific of an ideal client because you are going to try to market on a larger scale, on a larger radius, you're going to try to reach more women, more people. And it's okay to have like very specific ideal client in mind. So I do think that's kind of a double-edged sword. The ideal client thing, it works for some businesses, it doesn't work for others. So depending on who your audience is, that does inform us a little bit more about what's going to work and what's not going to work as well. So if we are a local business, operating on Facebook right now, what's working is like a post that has a lot of pictures because for every picture you get an engagement in Facebook's algorithm and the more engagements you have, the more they're going to show your posts to. So like once a week, I'll just put out a post that has multiple pictures on it so that I can get those click-throughs built up. Now, what's working on Instagram is things like Instagram stories where I kind of just drop the curtain And I don't just show only the pretty polished sides of the business that I'm selling. I take people behind the scenes and I let them see what my life is like on a day-to-day basis. And like when my kids are sick or something, like not all the details of when my kids are sick, but you know, they know the kids are home today or whatever. So what's working depends on who your audience is and where you're marketing. So 
just keep thinking about who is that person that I think my needs fit the best, whose problem can I help solve. It can be very specific, like that idea of the mom and our business wanting to be in the online fitness space. Like we can have a super targeted audience. If we are a localized business, we're probably going to sell to whoever makes their way in for lunch that day. So you can be specific, you can be not specific, but depending on who that audience is, is going to inform what we need to do next. So that's a big conversation. Other things that work in general, like if you're thinking about when to post, um, because that's a question I get a lot. Oh, shoot, never mind. That's going to just lead us right into the next question. So let's go into the next question. How does timing of the post impact readership? What is the frequency we should have and what time of day? So thinking about our audience again, we need to know when the audience is likely to be online. So if I have a, let's say I have a manufacturing business and I want to make sure that people who are seeking jobs in manufacturing see this post because I need to hire them. I'm not going to post at like one o'clock in the afternoon because what are people in that subset doing at one o'clock in the afternoon? They're working. They're working at the jobs they already have and they're not scrolling on their phone. So if I want to get in front of that audience, I need to think about when are they likely to have downtime? And that might be right away in the morning, over the lunch hour, or right before bed. And that's when I want to be posting. Similarly, let's say like if we take that to just like a different example. So let's say that we have a stay-at-home mom and that's who our target market is because we are selling a product that she could use. So what might work for her is that one o'clock to three o'clock in the afternoon time frame when her kids are down for a nap and maybe she's just sitting on the couch like catching her breath for a minute. So if that's my target audience, I know that maybe nap time or after the kids go to bed is going to be the best time to reach her. So it's going to depend on who your audience is to know what time of day to post. As far as frequency, um, I advocate that like you got to work in what works for you. So if you try to, let's say you want to put out like 10 posts per week because you really want people to know about this sale that's coming up, 10 posts per week is really ambitious and it's going to potentially burn you out if you don't have a clear plan. And if you don't have a strategy behind how you're going to post, because if each of those 10 posts is the exact same, you're going to A, annoy people, and B, the Instagram or the Facebook algorithm is going to identify you as spammy. Because if you repost the same exact post too many times, they're going to kill it. So you need to know if you're looking at frequency, that it's something that you can manage without burning yourself out. And it's something that your audience and the platform can handle without identifying you as spam. Now, I've worked with clients who've gone from like not posting anything for months and their goal might be to just get out one to two posts per week. And that's fantastic. If I can help them get to one post per week, that's an amazing step in the right direction. Now, I've also worked with clients who are posting seven to 10 times per week. They're not seeing the results they want. So I'm saying maybe we need to cut back. Maybe the way we shift and get attention for you is to not be present all the time. And we're just going to pair back to maybe three to four posts per week. I do think that three to five posts is the sweet spot. And you can dig into your insights specifically to get your busy days of the week. But in general, early in the week is going to be best. So like Sunday night through Wednesday night is going to be really good. And then it's going to be kind of hit and miss on those Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. That's because if we just think back to human nature, especially in the United States, what 
are people doing on weeknights? They're working, they're getting home from work, and they're relaxing. On the weekends, they might be busy. They might be attending events. They might be going to weddings. They might have other obligations and they're not scrolling their phone. So we need to think about our audience and what their habits are in order to know how often we need to post and the time of day that we need to get in front of them. Because the timing of the post, while it's not the only thing, it's not make or break of the post's success or failure, it does help. Like if you have 50 people that follow your account online and you release a post, that's obviously going to help you a little bit as opposed to posting at a time when there's two people online. So it's just a general rule of thumb to think about your audience. What days of the week are they likely to be busy and what likely days of the week are they going to have some downtime where they're scrolling? And similarly, when thinking about the time of day, when are they likely to be on their phone and when are they not? And if you just think about that for a minute, you don't have to get all up in your insights, but you can get up in your insights and look at those specifics as well. What impact does the caption or the wording have? A lot of impact. (laughs) So I try to frame my captions like a story. And we can tell a story with a clear beginning, middle, and end. And story is going to help people remember us because stories are what we as humans connect with. So I might tell a story where I introduce a customer and the problem that they had. And then I talk about how they came into my store looking for specific things. And I introduced them to this product that has worked successfully for me in the past. And then I share about how they took the product home. They used it. They came in the next day and told me about how it was like a miracle in their life. And that's a good story. (laughs) And so that caption would be highly engaging especially if I could tag that person in the story, but you have to have their permission first. Now, I also have written captions that start in the middle of a story and I get right to the question of getting to the relatability. So like, have you ever had a time where you cannot get the water to go down in your sink? You've tried the Drano, you've run that rat on the sink, but it just will not. How did I get on this example, you guys? But it just will not run. We have the solution for you. Call ABC Plumbers, you know. But if I jump in with that question, everybody's going to have a moment in their brain where they go back to and they're like, oh my gosh, yes. And then we found that sock that the four-year-old flood, like, you know. So everybody goes back because they can all relate to it. So if you start with a question or in the midst of a problem, that's going to up your relatability and that's going to get people to listen more to what the rest of your caption has to stay to. Other times I write captions that are really short and I can use like um, just examples of, again, relatability. So if I pair it with a caption, so let's say I use like a funny GIF and then I pair it with a caption like, kids, am I right? Like this post if you've had this happen to you. So that's a short caption, but it still gets to that hook and it gets a call to action, like if you've had this happen to you. So The caption or the wording is super important because it communicates the big takeaway we want people to have. And it also gets them to take that next step with us, whatever it is, whether it's entering their email into our opt-in, calling us to get an appointment scheduled, or just simply liking the post. But it is that next, it's that thing that connects them to us, whether or not they need our product or service, but they might relate to us on a personal level. And then the more we can do that, the more top of mind we'll be when they are looking for someone who has the products and the services we offer. Captions and wording can be really tricky, but the more you practice and like if you go back in some of my past podcast episodes or blogs, you'll be able to find some resources to help you, especially with like calls to action and talking about framing like a story. 
other things that you can do to like create the caption that is more readable are going to be things like creating breaks. So instead of having whole paragraphs of text, I recommend having no more than like three lines of text before you just have a break. So have like hit return a couple times so there's some white space. Um, the other thing you can do is add emojis so that it helps guide the eye, especially if you're doing a list of something, like create bullet points and use emojis like a finger pointing or a thumbs up or even just like a bulleted black box. Um, that helps guide the eye and makes your caption more readable. I also advise my clients and students to make sure they tag other businesses, brands, and people where possible. Because if somebody sees that they've been tagged in a post, they are likely to like that post or share it with their own followers. And then that can help you get in front of a, a whole new audience of people who are likely to be in your target audience. And then, as always, just kind of like check for some basic grammar. Like I'm kind of a, a grammar hater because of my English reading language arts background. But you don't have to be perfect. So don't like sit on that post and proofread it for an hour. But just like give it a final glance over and make sure you didn't like use the wrong form of there or where were we're like get that confused. Just like give it a good once over and then call it good. <laughs> All right. What else should you know? There are a whole bunch of quote unquote social media rules. But the best way to get to doing social media marketing for your business is to get started. It doesn't have to be professionally branded photos. It doesn't have to be produced videos. It doesn't have to be you like writing the perfect caption. It just has to be you showing up and showing up consistently. So whether that consistency is once a week or three times a week, just commit to something and get started. And I also recommend following social media experts. You can follow me at Molly Knuth Media or you can find somebody else you vibe with better. But if you have someone you can model your posts after and learn from, it'll help you not only get like the quote unquote rules that you need, but it also gives you some creative inspiration. And I also just go out and follow like accounts that inspire me. So there might be artists or content creators and they have nothing to do with social media marketing. But they just like make me feel good and I love the look and the vibe of their account. And I'll give them a follow because no matter what industry they're in, if I can spot like a great graphic, sometimes it just sparks my creativity on how I can use that layout for my specific industry. So I would just say at the end, you don't have to be perfect. You just need to get started. Show up consistently and follow other accounts that you can model and learn from and then apply that into what you do a little bit at a time. Don't feel like you have to rush into everything all at once. Start small and then grow from there. All right, guys. I intended for this to be like a super short episode, but it's like a moderate length episode. <laughs> but I hope it is a really good breakdown of some social media overviews for you. Thanks so much for listening in. I'm so happy to have you here again. And we'll be back next week with even more great social media tips, small town business stories, and we'll highlight some of the people who make this the best way of life. Talk to you soon. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the Small Minded Podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast 
with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small Minded Podcast or at mollyknuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one. Take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well lived being small-minded.